We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. Go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks. Hibbert denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, wow. Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits! Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to part two of the mailbag. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me now is Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, welcome back, brother. Hey, we are back, and man, do we have mail to deliver today. Absolutely. Let's start here with Naptown Sport. He said, who do you think will be the next guy on the Pacers? Someone to take the torch from Vic from a few years ago, and do you think that guy comes from the draft this year? Man, you would hope that guy is a top five pick this year. Maybe it's Jaden Ivey. You know, maybe it's 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 someone else. I mean, there's Jaden Sharp potentially. You know, so Duarte has a chance to develop into that guy. But you always kind of felt like when we took Duarte, given that he was a couple years older and at pick thirteen, you felt like there could be a little bit of like a ceiling on, on how how well he could be as a pro. I think he surpassed our expectations, but a top five pick feels like a little bit like some untapped potential. Yeah, I think it's if you draft Jaden Ivey, that's the guy. That's the guy for me. I think being a hometown hero, too, which I don't even care about that. I just think the kid's talented. I don't even care what school he plays for. If he were to play for LSU, if he were to play for UTEP, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care. The kid's talented. Look where John Morant came from. Look where Anthony Simons, Damian Lillard, they all came from. They came from smaller schools. So, you know, I would be totally fine with it. So, with that being said, I think it's got to be someone from this draft. Jaden Ivey makes a lot of sense. There could be a sleeper guy in the draft, like um, A.J. Griffin. That guy has really been playing well for Duke. I think he could be that guy for the Pacers to come to the draft because I think he is going to skyrocket 
up these draft boards over the next couple of weeks. And uh, as we get in, get closer to March Madness and then see the NCAA tournament, AJ Griffin is going to end up being a top six pick market here. January 30th, I'm saying it, top six pick, A.J. Griffin. It has been marked down. Moving on to the next question from <laughs> Circle One Sports. We had, is Herb's preference for retooling over rebuilding going to ruin the best potential trade scenarios on the table? No, I don't think so. I, because right, right now, even if he wants to retool, if the Pacers get a slam dunk offer for anybody on this roster, they're going to take it, even if it's Domas, even if it's Malcolm Brogdon. They can't do it now, but in the offseason they could. Um, you know, they're not going to just be like, well, we love Sabonis more than, you know, making our team better. So we're not going to do that. So, no, um, I don't think that's the case. But I I, uh, I do think that the players that they move over some of the players they move, I, I just think they might not like the offers they get back for some of their better players or some of the guys that they value more. So they might make lesser trades, which makes you feel like it's a bit of a letdown in terms of the retool punch. Yeah, look, it, it very well could be, uh, you know, I don't I don't know if we're going to ruin it, but it just also depends what offers are really out there. If the Pacers are unwilling to trade Sabonis, then I don't think there is a home run offer out there because if you're going to go with what Bobby Mark said on ESPN about the Pacers trading two unprotected first-round picks and Levert and Sabonis and... for Ben Simmons, I, I don't want that deal. Nope. I mean, that's, that's an insane deal. And then when you look at the Kings who – you know, they, were, they want Sabonis. Maybe they were going to offer Fox, but it's like, would you be willing to trade Sabonis and potentially like a first-round pick for Fox to pay him nearly double the salary as Domas? I don't think that's a good move. So yeah. I think right now there's not really a star or an all-star out there that can be had. So uh, it, it more you know comes down to are you willing to make some smaller moves? I, I don't think that there was the opportunity like the Magic had last year when they were able to just kind of sell off Aaron Gordon, Vucevic, and, you know, almost whatever else they wanted to sell. Yeah, I think the best thing that happened for the Bulls, too, is, like, they traded Vucevic and still got the eighth overall pick from, from Chicago. So they had five and eight, and, and last year's lottery was much more talented, much more deep than this year's draft. So that definitely helped. But um, Kevin Yorn asked a really interesting question here, Fachi. He said, would the Kings take Miles and Karras for Fox? Fox, Domas, TJ Warren, Duarte, then – trade Malcolm in the offseason and get a good lottery pick, the team could look much better with these moves. Hey, Kevin's got it all planned out. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I wish it was that easy, but look, the, the Kings have made it known recently that they won't be dealing Fox, or at least this year. Um, however, anything could happen around the draft. Now, I don't think that the Kings would do that deal because Miles and Karras both expire after next season, while Fox still has like four seasons left on his deal after this one. So Lavert seems to be like in that shuffle of like I think he's better than like a, a Buddy Heald or maybe like a Harrison Barnes, but he's in that type of category of like a good player that doesn't really change like a lot. I think the Kings already have some of those players are trying to get rid of. So um, I, I don't see them taking that package for Fox. No, I don't think Miles and Carrots get it done for Fox at all. But I do think that with how you said trade Malcolm. To me, if the Pacers hold on to Miles and trade him in the offseason, I wonder if they could package Malcolm and Miles and trade him to Sacramento for De'Aaron Fox and then maybe give up a future pick if they have to to get that deal done because, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, I, I think they value over Fox. And I, obviously they've been trying very hard to get their hands on Ben Simmons. And the, the, the Sixers are just not interested in De'Aaron Fox at this point to trade 
um, to trade Ben Simmons there. So there's a lot of rumblings that James Harden could be going to the Philadelphia 76ers at the end of this season. I know Woj came out and kind of like refuted all that, but I still think that that's something to keep an eye on. So honestly, like if they're trying to upgrade, Malcolm is a much better shooter than Fox. I think he might fit well with Tyrese Halliburton. And then you get a center in Miles Turner that can really help anchor that defense. And then of course, Malcolm has chemistry with him. So I could see that being more of a realistic trade offer than putting in Karras and Miles for Fox. But, you know, uh, anytime we talk about Fox on this team, I mean, it's intriguing for sure, but I just don't know how realistic it is. Yeah, I I really don't know. I mean, for the Kings where things have not gone right for him for a while, you finally got a player who agreed to be there, sign a max deal. I just feel like they're going to be looking for a little bit more than, you know, Levert and and Miles Turner. I don't want to say they'd be – passing through town but like do you really think that Lavert would, would sign a next deal in Sacramento I don't really know I don't think so I mean oh. you know <laughs> I don't think so so and then at that point Miles Turner there like I don't I just don't think that they view Turner anywhere on the same level like they view Sabonis where it sounded like they really want Sabonis and that's what they had their their heart set on yeah and then real quick with Turner I think he is a guy that's looking for an extension so I think he would sign in Sacramento. I don't think Turner's yeah, like that, that could happen. I don't think he's so like keen on like being in a certain place. But based on how he dressed last night for the Mavericks game, a lot of Dallas people are like, hey, looks like he likes to be in Texas. So uh keep your eyes on that. <laughs> yep, that hat was definitely a giveaway. That man misses home a bit. <laughs> All right, Fachi, you got the next question? Yep. So this is coming from Bilal said, uh, do you think Kevin Pritchard wants to rebuild, but Herb Simon is holding him back because he wants the Pacers to be competitive? Uh, in parentheses, they aren't near that. Oh, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. So, Bilal, I'll just be honest with you. Kevin Pritchard said, I don't want to be stuck on the treadmill of mediocrity. He thought this team, when they traded Paul George for Sabonis and Oladipo, were going to take a huge step back, and they didn't. So they overachieved, and then I think he kind of bought into like, a, hey, this is why you don't ever tank or expect to tank. And you know, it's it's a tough situation to be in, especially when your owner doesn't want you to lose games. And I don't think KP's trying to lose games on purpose, but I think we know that the limitations of this roster are are, are serious, and and they're not uh, just a, they're not a good fitting team. So, yeah, sure, I think Herb Simon wanting him to rebuild on the fly more than just allowing him to completely rebuild it is going to you know, I think what it is now basically is KP just respects what Herb wants and he does what he's asked to do. But I do think, philosophically speaking, both Chad and Kevin Pritchard would prefer to kind of just strip this thing down and restart it over. But that's not the way their owner wants to go. And so they'll do what their owner wants because at the end of the day, he's the one paying the, you know, handing out the paychecks. Exactly. Like I, I firmly agree. I think that Pritchard, if he had it his way, they would head towards more of a rebuild. They would make some some bigger moves. Uh, instead, I think he is likely forced to pursue more trades to keep the team balanced. I mean, we, we did see a recent report basically saying that Herb Simon wants, you know, players back really instead of draft picks, or he doesn't want picks to be the focal point of the deal. So yeah. um, I think that that's a very telling thing right there of just like, I, I want to keep this going or I want to win now rather than, hey, strip it all down and we're entering, a, you know, a five-year rebuild or whatever it may be. Absolutely. Moving on now to Jake the Snake Elrod. He said, is acquiring players or acquiring draft capital at the deadline more beneficial to the Pacers moving forward? My opinion, I think the draft capital is huge. I mean, could you imagine the possibilities, Jake, of having three first-round picks 
maybe one inside the top five potentially, and then perhaps two other picks that are maybe, I don't know, between like 15 and 25. Uh, I feel like that gives us great trade ammunition. And then also Brogdon will be eligible to be traded in the offseason. I mean, you could strap a first-round pick to Brogdon. Who knows? I mean, you can make other moves. So I, I just feel like I love the idea of having numerous picks because it creates that opportunity to – you know, trade, say, what if it was like the 15th and 25th pick? What if you're able to then move and almost be able to get into the top 10? Or you're able to get like, you know, number like 11 or something like that. And then all of a sudden you have the 5th and 11th pick, whatever. Maybe you include a player. Who knows? Anyway, the team, however it seems, or Herb Simon, views acquiring players over the picks to be, you know, keep us competitive. So if that's if that's the stance, look, I, I'm fine taking a swing on, on recent lottery picks, like guys that have not really reached their full potential, like the Isaac Okoros, the Obi Toppins, those guys like that. But we're not a year or two away from winning. So those guys are eventually soon going to be up for a new contract. And I don't know how close we'll be ready to, you know, fully competing at the highest level. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there talking about acquiring draft capital in terms of being able to use those draft picks as ammunition. Because like I said earlier, it might have been in part one, I can't remember. But I, as I was saying, you know, when you have all these draft picks, you don't really want to take all these players. Like, that's why you saw a lot of teams make trades that had solidified rosters. And then they, they didn't want to spend up all their roster spots going out and, and trading, basically, or drafting all these players. And then, okay, now you got four rookies on your roster, and none of them are on two-way deals or whatever. So that can be a little bit problematic, especially if they're if this draft is considered to be, you know, weaker in the back half of it. Um, why would you really be so enticed to have like a 25th or 18th overall pick like you're talking about? I think, honestly, if you could get future picks that aren't in this draft, that would be more beneficial. Um, if a team's like, you know, look at the Lakers. I understand we make fun of the package all the time. Like, you know, Kendrick Nunn, THT, and the 2027 first-round <laughs> pick. Yeah. But think about it. That 2027 first-round pick is going to have more value than – a 2022 first round pick that's picked 27, right? Because there's still the hope, oh, well, the Lakers in five years, they could be terrible. And a team will talk themselves into that draft pick over a late first round pick this year. So I think that's the route you're looking at. You know, obviously that's not the deal that I would do, but if there's possibilities here where you could get later picks, then that would be enticing to me. But overall, you know, I, I think that at the deadline, you're looking to get more young players in here to help this team grow and like we've talked about build on the fly unfortunately so you know the draft capital moving forward I think is more important but for now and what I think the direction of this franchise is it's acquiring players absolutely so next question we have Matt Montrum said do you think the Pacers are thinking of keeping Sabonis and building with him or is he going to eventually be moved oh no I think they're thinking of building with him I don't think they're going to build around him but building with him is a great way to put it Matt um, I think they really like what he does and how he elevates the the floor of the team. I don't think he raises the ceiling too, too much in terms of like, you know, I mean, he's gotten better every year. I think he's gotten better since last year. Just he doesn't have the same efficiency or not the same efficiency, the same numbers, not getting the same amount of touches and he doesn't have as many shot attempts, that kind of thing. But I think he just makes everybody else better. Like imagine him running pick and roll with Jaden Ivey and Chris Duarte, you know, coming off of a a pin down screen where he's able to get a three and Ivy can kick it out or Ivy can get to the rim or he can play a pick and roll with Domas. I mean, there's so many different options here. If you just give Sabonis a dynamic guard that can get to the rim. And I, I think Levert's inefficiency, like I talked about in the first podcast, shooting like 31% from the field right now over the last four games, like 
duh, no wonder this team keeps losing. I mean, if that's your best guard and he's shooting 31% from the field and 33% from three and 57% from the free throw, that's terrible. You know, it's like he's too inconsistent of a player. You need a more consistent uh, dynamic guy to go with Sabonis, but they need to build with him, not around him, build with him, and I think they're going to be in a much better spot. Yeah, you got to build with it because, look, there's not those home run trade packages out there for him right now. So it's you don't just want to deal him just to get a deal done because take it in perspective against the Charlotte Hornets, the Pacers look so bad. They got they got just absolutely beaten down. I mean, it just looked like they couldn't stop anyone. Look, yeah, defense isn't Sabonis' you know, forte, but then you saw Sabonis play against OKC, and he hands down just gave them absolute fits. I mean, just got everything he wanted there. And he it shows that he brings a lot to the table. I mean, we're talking about a guy who is, you know, one of the best screen setters in the league, one of the best rebounders in the league, one of the best passing big men in the league. I feel like he gets better each year. I mean, what what some people might think of as a down year for Sabonis, he's shooting like 58% from the field. So it's ridiculous. His shot looks better. <laughs> but imagine what he could do passing-wise with real shooters. Yeah. We don't have any shooters. We have Justin Holiday. Well, it's we his fault. We suck, Fachi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We <laughs> asked the world of Justin Holiday. That should not be asked. So get this guy some shooters, and we're going to see a change right over here because a big man, unfortunately, can't influence the game like he used to years ago. You have to you have to build around him or you know put the pieces there, and Sabonis does not have those pieces to work with. Yeah, I mean, I shared Sabonis' stats yesterday, and someone's like, well, how many wins is that attributed to? It's like, who cares? You know, I'm not saying that, you know, his his stats aren't contributing. I mean, his stats aren't contributing to wins. They, they're they playing better when he's in the game than when he's not in the game. I'll just give you that much. But it's just because this team has got so many injuries. Three of their starters are out right now. Levert's been out for a good amount of time. He's playing with a bunch of bench players. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just calm down a little bit on how much Sabonis slander we want to have just because, you know, the team's not winning games. Like, it wouldn't matter if Turner was putting up 30 points and, and 15 rebounds and five blocks a game. This team would still be losing games because they're just not that good. It's more than a one-person team. I forget. I think people forget sometimes that basketball, while individuals shine in bright moments in the clutch, you know, um, I still think that people forget it's a game of five-on-five. Five. It's a team sport. It's not a one-on-one -on -one sport. Absolutely. There is one more part of the question. He said, also, do you definitely see a trade getting done before the deadline for Levert and Turner? I don't definitely think it's going to happen, but I, I would say more likely than not. But uh, yeah, I, for both of them being traded, I'd say I feel like 65, 70% that they will make a trade, 30% they don't. Yeah, I, I see Levert being more likely to be moved. Turner, I, I see him staying put in Indiana uh, the rest of the season. I just, I think that trade in, uh, that injury, really kind of affected the trade interest. However, there's still about 10 days before the trade deadline. Things could easily heat up. So uh, I don't want to say that both of them will definitely be traded. Yeah, and I think Evan DeMero on our last or on our Thursday podcast, excuse me, brought up a great point when he was talking about, you know, all of it right now is just the reason deals don't happen is because it's not push come to shove. It's not, okay, we got to make this deal happen by the deadline. So I think come Thursday, you're going to hear a lot more aggressive talks from teams knowing that this is their last chance for the next three months to, to, to get a player or a prior player away from a team. So we'll see what happens there. But let's move on. Patrick Fagan said, I'm really disappointed in Carlisle and the lack of playing time for Gogo Batadze and Isaiah Jackson. Are you? I am. Patrick, you're not alone. It's, at, at some point, it, it feels like a crime. I, I don't know. I don't I didn't know when I became such a Goga guy, but 
I just feel like Goga getting hurt early in the, the OKC game, that was unfortunate. But it already felt like with Sabonis back, it's like uh, one of these two players is going to disappear. And I, I want to say Jackson, Isaiah might have had some like kind of undisclosed injury or whatever it is, but he didn't even play against OKC. So now you got to factor in Turner returning. So if Turner returns, one of these guys is, is definitely disappearing, maybe both. And I feel like Goga is going to be the guy who disappears. Isaiah, I think he's way too talented to not play or only play, you know, two minutes at the end of a blowout game. So he does things, I mean, that, that other players on the team can't do. I mean, Isaiah's shown that he's a really good shot blocker, which I know Turner has, obviously. But Isaiah finishes above the rim better than anyone on this team. I feel like his confidence will only grow with more playing time. And anyone who's watched Goga play recently realized he's not a bust. We failed him for two plus years. Yeah, so I will just put it this way. From from the intel that I've gotten and from what I've seen on in terms of on the court, I would say Carlisle is not the biggest Goga fan. I think he's – Seems that way. I, I think he's – yeah, you know, I think he feels like he should be further along in his, yeah. in his process than he has been. I think Isaiah Jackson's getting more of the benefit of the doubt because he's a rookie. Same with Terry Taylor. And I think, you know, if, if Carlisle really liked Goga – I think he would have been a part of the rotation more. I think he tried him out at the beginning of the year, realized, you know, there's been moments where I thought he was good, but then just too many inconsistent moments from Goga from, from what I've seen. So I think that, you know, Carlisle is not sold on Goga as a long-term like backup center either. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he gets moved uh, at least by next year. I don't think he'll be here after his contract runs out. That's just my gut feeling, but um, Isaiah Jackson, I think that they're still going to try to get him some playing time. I think, even if Turner comes back, you're going to see Turner and Sabonis play together. It's just going to, it's just how it's going to be. This team, um, whether we, even though we identified it earlier in the in the mailbag that it could be stealth thinking here with Carlisle, I don't think he's going to go all in and, and you know sit some of these guys when healthy because the biggest thing here is you got to elevate their trade value. And I noticed it in the press conference against the Mavericks. A lot of questions about his time in Dallas, but he made sure to give Miles Turner praise for the world's best shot blocker, the world's best rim protector being sideline has really hurt them. So, you know, it has, they, they do miss his presence, but for him to just throw that out there for no apparent reason, definitely feels like he's trying to build that stock up. Definitely interesting. Definitely something to continue to look for over there. Um, but it also felt like from the very beginning, Carlisle, was infatuated with Isaiah Jackson. If you remember his comments oh, yeah. in the offseason, he was what was it like? He had some term like uh, he is one of the greatest, one of the best, best defenders, defenders I've ever seen from like yeah. one through five. or so, It was like something. Yeah, because of his like, ability to block jump shots. He's never seen a guy be able to block jump shots like that. Yeah, so it's obvious that if it comes down between Isaiah Jackson and Goga, it definitely seems that like Goga, I mean, Isaiah Jackson might have been a player. I don't know the influence that Carl might have had on, you know, them making that trade for Isaiah Jackson, but it definitely does feel more of like a someone who entered the team right after Carl had been there. And it was like, okay, all right, well, Goga is someone he inherited. Yeah. And he also said, he's got to find guys that know how to throw him lob passes because <laughs> these guys don't know how to do it very well. They don't. He said some of them do, but some of them don't. And he's like, you know, we got to work on that. But um, anyway, we can move on. Fox. You got the next question. Next question coming from Josh Lovell. He said, do you think Carlisle's attitude to playing our younger guys will change once we pass the trade deadline. <laughs> so I've kind of hinted on this already. Yep. So Josh, I'm sorry, but um, if they keep the old guys, no, I don't think it will. I think that the young guys will get limited minutes. And I think that the veterans will continue to get playing time. And I think part of that is to try to establish uh, a bit of trade value. But at the same time, I think this team 
still looks at like, hey, if we get on a winning streak, we can make the playing game. So, hey, I know fans don't want to hear that, but I think it's part of the thought process in terms of the Pacers not uh, losing games on purpose. Because, I mean, I even heard Jeremiah Johnson on the radio talk about, I'm not rooting for losses because they're still mathematically in this. And so oh, it's God. like, you know, that yeah. that's the approach he's taken. And I think, you know, him being employed by the Pacers kind of uh, goes in alignment with what the Pacers are thinking. Yeah, look, yes, we're not mathematically eliminated. Otherwise, things would be truly rock bottom right now. But I also feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I hope his attitude changes if, if some players are, are moved at the deadline. Because there's guys like Levert, Turner, even Jeremy Lamb that are – Obviously, you know, taking up a, a big amount of minutes for guys like Isaiah Goga, you know, even Dwayne Washington Jr. could have a more like solidified role. Maybe even Terry Taylor. I, I don't know. Look, Terry Taylor is someone who dominated the G League. I, I mean, Carl obviously likes him, but there's just not really a way to get him in there. So yeah. maybe if some of those guys are dealt, then, yeah, it, it becomes like a, hey, it's a next man up. So what else are we going to do type of thing? Absolutely. We got five more questions. We're going to take a quick break. We're, uh, we'll come back and answer the rest of those right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, our next question comes from Landon White. He said, are we, one, not giving Bjorkren enough credit for winning more games with this roster than Carlisle, or two, not giving Bjorkren enough credit for the irreplaceable damage that he did to the locker room chemistry in just one year? Oh, my God. I really did. This is another tough one. It's a good question. It is a good question. It's a great question. I, I respect it, Landon. Uh, no, not giving Bjorkren enough credit for winning more games. I mean, Bjorkren – Bjorkman did have this team as, you know, a play, they want to play in game. TJ Warren didn't play at all. He played four games last year. They had their other injuries. Miles Turner missed like the last month of the season. So it's like they were at least, you know, going to be a playoff team. But Bjorkman was just such like a maniac behind the scenes that I just feel like it's just like the, the guy obviously had to go. But then the locker room stuff, I mean, you would think it would be repaired by now. Bjorkman's been gone for a while, but – the team chemistry has never looked good this year, honestly, at all. I know it started last year, but at this point, it, it hasn't recovered. So I don't know. I don't know if I can give Bjorkman more credit or, or, or less credit anywhere here. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this stimulates from Scott Agnes's article, and I talked about this on the Saturday show a little bit, where Scott Agnes kind of just threw it threw in there in his article over the over the loss of the Hornets and stuff like that that the Pacers front office has once again had to go in there and address the locker room. And I think, you know, he tweeted about it too. And people are like this year as well. And he's like, yeah, 
And so, you know, I, I think that this lack of leadership thing that we've talked about is just huge. I mean, it, it doesn't go uh, unnoticed by anybody that watches this team. They have zero leader. And, you know, I don't know if Sabonis can ever become that, but um, it's not Brogdon and it never will be as much as Brogdon really wants it to be. No, Brogdon's good at speaking to the media and a really nice guy, but he's not a team leader. And I think part of the problem is, I mean, I put his uh, availability out there, 28.8% of games that he's missed already this uh, short Pacers career, and he's still going to continue to miss those games. And I know people are like, now do TJ Warren's. It's like, look, Warren's not claiming to be the leader of this team. So for me, it's like if Brogdon's missing 30% of his games and he's supposed to be the team leader and he's not even an all-star, let alone a guy that you consider to be, you know, your best player, well, then there's going to be some problems. So I think that, you know, I would lean more towards not giving Bjorkman enough credit for the damage that he did because what he did there is he divided that locker room up by giving special treatment to players. That's just the bottom line. And, you know, Carlisle's job was to try to mend that relationship, fix that broken uh, broken bond there between the guys. I don't think it's like in incredibly broken, but at the beginning of the year, did you notice how little Sabonis was involved in the offense, Fachi? It's and terrible. Over the, over the last couple of months, we've seen him start to get more and more involved and more usage for him and how much better the offense has looked at times when he's out there. I think a lot of that was just Carlisle trying to take away some of that special privilege in a sense that, that Sabonis felt that he had to try to get more of a balanced team here. But um, I think what Carlisle is realizing, too, is that, hey, you know, my best option here now moving forward is to play through Sabonis more because our team just has so many limitations, especially not having a lot of great three-point shooters. Yeah, I, there, there's no other option for it. I mean, look, I know that like, the triple doubles might not translate, but it's just like we need Sabonis to do what he does. We really do. I mean, he makes so much happen. I mean, the assist numbers, I mean, he, he had a recent stretch where it's like, it's like three or four games in a row now where he's been like over eight assists. Um, so, you know, that he's played in. So it, it's just, he just does a lot. But at that point, I mean, look, you got to play through him, but they don't have a leader. They don't, period. They haven't had it for a while. And it shows on the court when, when times get tough, unfortunately, there, there's no one to wake this Pacers team up. And we, we asked in the offseason that we wanted a leader. It didn't happen. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to our next question. I think it's you, Futch. Yep, Ed Lolly, friend of the show. Appreciate yeah. you, Ed. Uh, is there a move or draft pick that you wanted but didn't? He said, I'm glad we didn't sign Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I guess kind of <laughs> kind of going into a little bit what I was just saying, the only real move I wanted was a veteran presence. And I don't know if they thought Tory Craig was that guy, but uh, definitely is not. Tory Craig might be a veteran, but uh, not you know a veteran presence. Um, initially, just like Alex, I was a Moses Moody guy. You know, but look, I'm thrilled with what we've seen out of Duarte. Like, thrilled. He surpassed everyone's expectations. And then in the offseason, we really didn't have that much money to begin with to, to make a move. I mean, our whole offseason was re-signing T.J. McConnell for more money, bringing in Torrey Craig, and then just setting up the coaching staff. So uh, there, there was I didn't really feel that there was more moves we could have made. Yeah, definitely on the Moses Moody one, like, yeah, I don't necessarily think that I was wrong in thinking Moses Moody should have been the guy there. Because he's only 19 years old, right? And, and Duarte is already 24. So in 20, at the age of 24, if Moses Moody is terrible, then sure, I'll go back and say I was completely wrong. But I definitely was wrong in terms of uh, Duarte not being as good as I thought he could be. I thought he was a fine player. I thought he was, you know, solid, but I never thought he could be great. But I'm, you know, after watching him play, I've seen flashes of that greatness. And I think that 
over time it could become that. But in terms of like a draft pick that I wanted to happen or a trade that I wanted to happen, you know, it's it's tough. Um, I definitely think the one that I wanted to happen that didn't happen the most was Gordon Hayward, and I'm still sad about that because <laughs> I really wanted him. But, um, you know, other than that, I can't really think of anything. Everything that I've wanted in terms of trade stuff um, has uh, has not happened. So stuff that has happened that I didn't want, maybe that's more of it. Like the Jeremy Lamb signing, I really wanted that, and we did it. And now I look back on it and say that felt like kind of a wasted uh, wasted pick there for actually, or a wasted a salary cap based on how his tenure has gone here with the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how far back Ed was looking to go. When he mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie, I figured he was just talking about this offseason. Um, so, I mean, oh, I the Jeff Teague it, one's a good one then, if we're going that far back. Well, I, I don't think he was trying to go that far back. Yeah. I think he, when he mentioned Dinwiddie, it was just specifically this offseason. So, therefore, I would say something like, I wanted the Pacers to make a run at Cameron Reddish. I did. When the Knicks got the deal done for, you know, a, a first round pick that's top 18 protected, I thought we could have beat that. I thought at that point the Pacers could have been, you know, Hey, how about we do a top 16 or top 14 protected instead? But in the end, it didn't happen. And you know what? Cam Reddish still isn't playing for the Knicks right now. So maybe maybe he's really not as ready as people hope for. Yeah, and real quick, I don't know if you saw this, but did you see that quote from Spencer Dinwiddie yesterday? Uh, from I, A lot of people had it, but no, Chase Hughes from NBC Sports said, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie on being a leader for the Wizards. He goes, it's an interesting situation. I spoke up a little bit early on this season. It wasn't necessarily welcomed. And so, like I said, really? I try to do whatever's asked of me. At the end of the day, everybody has a role to play. It's about being accountable in your role and doing that to the best of your ability. That's really all I've got. Ooh. So <laughs> that might go to show a little bit of like, okay. That says a lot. And I think part of that is too, it's like, look, Bradley Beal is the number one guy on that team. And if Spencer Dinwiddie's trying to step up and take that leadership role, I can see why some of the guys might not have been uh, receptive to it. Now, Spencer Dinwiddie is a very inconsistent player. I think we all know that. But, you know, I, I think then Spencer Dinwiddie, if he would have at least tried to be the leader for this team, I think that that probably would have been received a lot more uh, here in Indiana than maybe somewhere else just because of the the problems here that the Pacers have had with not having a legit leader in this locker room. Yeah, in my mind, it would have been encouraged because it's an open vacancy. I mean, leaders are wanted. We're hiring right now. I mean, please get one in here at some point. I mean, the, the fact that we need to talk about having an Al Jefferson role in this team, you know, every couple of months just shows how there's no accountability at all. So they need someone who, who can at least get some guys in line. I mean, it really, as each year goes on, I feel like I appreciate David West just a little bit more. Absolutely. Let's move on to our next one here. This comes from Landry Houck. He said, will next season be a breakout season for Chris Duarte? Could it be a 20-plus points-per-game score and maybe even make his first All-Star appearance? I think he breaks out. I don't think it's the 20 points per game. I think if he's a full-time starting two-guard, like Levert is moved, he's starting every single game, I really feel like he can put up 17 or 18 points per game and be a really good three-point shooter. And, and in year two for your 13th overall pick, that is an absolute success. So I don't want to cap his potential, but I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if he was averaging like 17 and a half points per game next year as a starter. <laughs> yeah, all-star is going to be really tough. The Eastern Conference is really loaded, Landry. So I don't think he'll be an all-star next year, but I definitely think he could have a breakout year. Um, I know a lot of times sophomore players do have breakout years. They also have sophomore slumps. Um, but you, you'll see a lot of guys brought up as like most improved player of the year in that sophomore conversation. And people are like, 
they're supposed to improve. It's what they're supposed to do. But, you know, I think if Duarte is given a bigger role and he, and he plays well and he thrives in the role that Rick Carlisle gives him and it's a little bit more consistent than it has been this year, I definitely think we'll see an uptick in points per game. Not sure about 20 points, but, you know, I still think he could have a, a better and more consistent season than he's had this year. Absolutely, absolutely. Next question, Jake, he came back for more. Jake the Snake. Jake, Jake the Snake slithering back for a second question. Uh, that's Jake Elrod, everybody. Uh, he said, given Isaiah Jackson's recent play, it seems the Pacers really need to focus on giving him real minutes for development. Assuming Turner isn't traded by the deadline, how would you handle the big man situation once Turner is healthy? This is a tough one here. I think, you know, if you're looking at the starting five, and I think we have to assume at some point, you know, uh, TJ Warren comes back this year. I mean, maybe not, but we'll have to assume that maybe. But let's just say, you know, we got Brogdon, we got Duarte, we've got Justin Holiday, we've got Turner and Sabonis, you know, our kind of projected starting five without Levert and without Warren. And then looking at the bench, you know, you've got potentially Torrey Craig. He could be on the move, not sure. Same with O'Shea Brissett. I just feel like you got to play Isaiah Jackson at least some minutes at the backup five and potentially at the four, depending on whether Torrey Craig's here or not. So, you know, you can still play Turner and Sabonis. They're most of their minutes at the five, but I think you could find some minutes in there at the four for Isaiah Jackson, maybe some solo five minutes, uh, especially in, in, in foul trouble situations. But I think he at least needs to be getting it close to 14, 15 minutes a game moving forward for the rest of the season because the best development is when you're actually given the experience. Yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be – it's easier said than done because this is going to be a messy situation. Turner, longest tenured pacer, a fan favorite to many, an overall great guy. However, it's a business. I mean, if Turner's not dealt – I think the Pacers need to find a way to try and, you know, still be able to get in Isaiah and Goga. I don't know if you're, how much you're going to offend Miles Turner if you were to eventually try and bring him off the bench or if you did something like, hey, while he's hurt, let's ease him in and bring him off the bench and then bring him to a starting role. But, like, Isaiah Jackson, I feel like, cannot just be just at the end of the bench not playing. Otherwise, it's going to cause – Pacer fans to be like, what's going on? We're wasting another pick, this, this, and that. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it depends on that injury. If, if Turner is, you know, banged up, I think at yeah. some point you might have to kind of rest him or shut him down a little bit earlier. I don't know, but Isaiah Jackson needs to play literally around that 10 to 15 minutes mark. And I feel like Goga still needs something in there. If you're not going to play nah, Goga now, no. if, you, if, if you're not going to play him, then you got to move him. you got to trade him in, that, in the offseason because yeah. it's going to be another year of just wasted. But Isaiah Jackson, I, I did the math, on, on games where he's played like 13 minutes or more, he's averaging like 14 and 5 on the year and, and on over 50% shooting. So yeah. it's just like we're talking about 13 minutes of playing time here. He produces. Yeah, the, I, he's got to get way more playing time than Goga. I'm, I'm – Oh, yeah. If I don't see Goga play again for the Pacers, I'm not mad about it. Let's just put it that way. Um, I know I'm, I'm kind of crashing your train there for the Goga train, but, you know, my goodness, Goga is just way too inconsistent. And, you know, he looks like he should be better than what he is, especially with all the shots that he takes, but doesn't ever seem to produce at the level I think he should. But so, uh, yeah, Turner, I mean, you're right. The injury is a big part of this that I didn't really even factor into it because the team really needs to be smart with – not overusing him once he comes back from that stress, uh, you know, that stress release or stress. What is it called? 
Stress uh, reaction. Stress reaction. I, guess, I always forget. I'm, I'm just going to laugh it at myself. I can't help it. I always forget what it's called. A stress reaction. Okay. Whenever he gets over that, you have to monitor that very closely because teams are going to be curious about that come the offseason if they do trade for him. But I think if he's able to come back, he's able to show it, let him play a little bit and shut him down towards the end of March and the rest of April, give those minutes to IJAX and just be done with it. Very possible. Very possible. But uh, we have our last question, Alex. You want to read it off? Sure, why not? I got a good answer for this one. So John McClain said, who comes back and plays first, Zion Williamson or TJ Warren? This is tough. Maybe I'm actually crazy, but the fact that I'm leaning saying maybe it's TJ Warren, and I only say that because I'm not confident that Zion even returns this year or to the Pelicans in general. I feel like the organization is going nowhere. Uh, It doesn't seem like he's happy there. I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, why am I going to rush back for like, uh, you know, one to two months, potentially, you know, worse than this injury. So I feel like TJ Warren, a guy who we expected back in December, then January, at this point, we at least know he's doing one-on-one. I feel like with him being in a contract year, he's going to want to be more likely to get back on the court than potentially Zion, who isn't even, you know, rehabbing with the team right now. Yeah. Um, so for me, for this answer, I would say if I'm really thinking about this long and hard, I might have to say Jesus Christ. Uh, he might be coming back first before these two guys come back. Um, and another way to make this question even more fun is how many times do you think Malcolm Brogdon comes back and goes back out and comes back before either of these guys see the floor again? Quite a few. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, this is a mess right here with Zion and the Pelicans. I mean, they have got to be really worried about this because I know they got him in the draft, but letting him – Anytime you let players rehab away from the team, it always seems like a bad idea. I I know that that's probably just common stuff, but whenever I've seen it happen with the Pacers, it's like, oh, we're going to let them rehab in, you know, Miami, California, like all this other stuff. Then they start really liking that lifestyle. Then they're gone. Like he's not even re, re, uh, rehabbing in New Orleans. And then I know when he was healthy, Zion made a lot of comments about liking New York and wanting to play there. It's just like, come on, like give me a break. So, you know, the Pelicans are in a bad spot, in my opinion, in terms of the Zion situation, just from an outside uh, observer. just feels kind of weird there. But T.J. Warren, I mean, is on public record that he wants to be here. So I, I think he'll come back. I, I think there's speculation he could come back February, March. Um, he's already doing one-on-one. The boot's not on. So I think they're going to try to get him back here just to see what he could look like um, with this team. So um, other than that, Fauci, that wraps up our mailbag. That it does. The mail has officially been delivered. <laughs> Absolutely. So, like I said earlier on the first podcast, if you haven't um, already, make sure you give us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcast. And you can send that to my email at NBA, and I will put you in our contest that we are going to do at the end of the year for either a Setting the Pace hoodie, a Jermaine O'Neal autograph gift card, or one of these City Edition jerseys from this year. The, uh, the, the, the 80s jersey mixed with the Flow Joes. It's pretty sick, and I think a lot of fans like it. But Fachi... Where can people find us at on social media? All right. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And if you're hoping that the Pacers somehow find a way to get Jaden Ivey in the 2022 NBA draft, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Peace out Pacer Nation!